same features, right? A, a lot of pushing a lot of the risk onto their users, imposing use restrictions. Um, some NFT marketplace platforms will impose uh, terms of sale governing transactions on those marketplaces. Um, and in other cases, the marketplace may not do so. So in the example of OpenSea, that's an example of NFT marketplace that does not have very prescriptive terms for uh, governing the sale of an NFT. And so in, in those cases, you know, if you're a seller on the platform and you're not including additional terms of sale, as Andy showed you that we had done with, with our NFT, then that could be a gap in uh, the, the governing legal terms uh, for, for the purchase of your NFT. Um, another variation that we've seen in NFT marketplace terms of service is around IP rights. Um, mostly, you know, the default is the purchase of NFT does not represent a transfer of ownership. It usually represents a very limited license to the underlying content. Um, and it's limited to you know personal non-commercial use. Um, but NFT marketplaces do vary on this as well. So whether you're a buyer or a seller, it's important to review what IP rights you're granting as a buyer and what IP rights you think you're getting as a seller um, when you're transacting on these NFT marketplaces because they can vary. And obviously, you know, with the MetaMask layer. Um, you are agreeing to a whole other set of terms <clears throat> when when you process the transaction through MetaMask. And so that'll be its own set of restrictions, its own set of liability allocations um, to be aware of. So, um, you know, really when you're looking at these terms of service or considering the legal framework for these NFT transactions on NFT marketplaces, it's important to review and be cognizant of the governing legal framework, and a lot of times this will be multiple sets of terms of service. And as a seller, if there are gaps in those terms of service, making sure that you fill those potentially with your own set of additional terms governing the purchase and sale of your NFT. And another last point I'll make here is, you know, if you're using contractors to go out there, maybe design an NFT drop on OpenSea for you or work with one of these platform providers to design an NFT program, um, a lot of times those contractors will be deemed your agent. Um, so if the contractor is just going, they're creating an account, um, they will, you likely will be deemed to have agreed to these terms as is without ever knowing it. So it's really, it's really important to be aware of what legal framework you're agreeing to, even though, you know, the process is so digitalized and virtual that it's very easy to not be aware of, you know, it, nothing's ever put under your nose, like you don't receive documents or papers. So it's very easy to go through the process without, you know, knowing what you're agreeing to. So, um, so, so yeah, um, Andy, back to you. Thank you. Uh, okay. So uh, jumping right back into the process here, as we continue, we've now created the NFT and you can see here that now it is in my account. Um, you can see the description that we included is actually listed there. Um, scrolling down, we, we, we included the description of the Foley and Lardner uh, uh, core values. There are the properties we talked about before. Um, and as scrolling down, you can see here that there's a history um, at the bottom of the NFT. So as we go through the process, you'll be able to see every transaction that's happened uh, with this NFT and clicking on each of the, the links in there will take you to 
a place on uh, basically a, a history of the transaction on the blockchain that you can you can actually go and see. So right here you'll see this. Uh, there's a contract address associated with this NFT. Um, it starts with OX49. It ends. It's a long series of numbers. It ends with 75BE. And we're going to see that at various points as we go through this process, which is one of the ways that you know that it's always the same NFT that is being dealt with on the blockchain. So if we were to click on that um, contract address, it will take us to um, uh, a site called Etherscan, which is essentially a um, it's kind of like Google for the blockchain, right? It's a it's a block exploring tool. Um, and at the top of that page, you can see the contract there and you see it starts with OX49 and ends with 7B5V. So this is a way for us to look at um, the actual smart contract uh, that is represented by this cryptographic hash on the blockchain. Um, so if we go down a little bit, uh, to, to actually view the contract itself, we click on contract. It's going to take us to the actual code of this smart contract, which is, as you can see, it, it's basically hundreds of lines of alphanumeric characters that do not make any, you know, sense in a human readable fashion. Um, lots of, you know, uh, nothing but just you know, Fs, numbers, letters. Okay, scroll all the way down. It's completely that. So um, there is a way to decompile that code um, and turn it into a, a readable, a human readable format. So this shows us the same code we just looked at. We hit the we're, we're using a decompiler that is provided by Etherscan, and um, as you can see there, uh, it turns it into a more human readable version of of code that represents the actual smart contract. Um, this will become and and yeah, if you look there on the second third line, it's showing you this is the decompiled source code of the the contract hash, which is exactly the same one that we were talking about before. Uh, this type of thing is going to become important um, in the situation where you end up in a dispute about what uh, the terms of a particular smart contract are and whether you know they correspond to what you sold this is the type of thing that an expert like a a coding expert um, would show up in court to explain what the smart contract means it also becomes important um, in the case of smart contracts that need to actually be validated or or verified there will be basically code audits in these transactions um, to verify uh, that that everything happened the way it was intended so scrolling down you can see even this though in human readable form is not something that really means much to us in the sense of uh, you know what we typically think of as a legal contract um, and lots of you on the call might say you know legalese i've seen these contracts they're 40 pages long they're impossible to understand well think about reading 1400 uh, lines of code um, that are not actually in english so um, it becomes even even that much more difficult we've got 1384 uh, lines here so the the smart contracts um, Basically, as you can see, it's a it's a it's a piece of code programmed onto the blockchain, and it defines the terms of the transaction. Um, in in the case of this particular NFT, OpenSea essentially did it for us. We put in our description, our properties, any unlockable content, and that all feeds into uh, the the main OpenSea contract. Um, the smart contracts, once they're on the blockchain, right? The logic of these smart contracts um, can never be disturbed. So there really is no room for interpretation. Um, you know, the, the input determines the output. However, 
there could be bugs in a contract. The contract could say or do something that's different than what the description was or what what uh, was actually marketed and sold. So the, there are some instances like that where we're going to, I think, in the future, see um, you know litigation and or legislation about you know how these things are interpreted and and should be should be used. Uh, you know the smart contract uh, is basically there can be functionality built into it. Um, it, it might end up, uh, imagine company shares, for example, shares of a corporation being uh, tokenized. Uh, things like shareholder voting or dividends and distributions could be accomplished directly through the NFT and through the blockchain. Um, you might have a, a, a common example that people use when thinking of NFTs are, are escrow agreements, right, where uh, funds can be put um, you know, into the blockchain, into incorporated into an NFT, and the NFT, the instructions of the smart contract are to release those funds in the form of cryptocurrency to a counterparty upon the occurrence of a certain event that is readily definable by by reference to some outside. Uh, in the case of the blockchain, they're referred to as oracles. So it could be on the upon the delivery of a particular shipment of goods, the funds are released to the seller. Um, so those types of things are the type of functionality uh, that that we're going to see um, showing up in in NFTs. I think more and more. Again, right now we hear about it more from the perspective of um, uh, of uh, you know art and music, but we're going to see more functional aspects. Um, and you know, some of those functional aspects may be things that um, you know make us think about about patent issues like the things that um, Eric was talking about before. So Eric, if you have more thoughts on um, patentability issues, I'm happy to pass it back over to you. Uh, yeah, 